What's up, Beardos? You're listening to episode 104 of The Bearded Vegans. Basically, our whole philosophy boils down to, don't be a jerk. Don't really answer your question first. I not answer your question. I really hope people didn't tune in to hear us talk about beards. Welcome to the show. I'm Paul. And I'm Andy. And we are the Bearded Vegans, a podcast featuring a dissection of all things vegan. If you're just tuning in for the first time, you can find all of our previous episodes at thebeardedvegans.com. And you can always reach us by emailing thebeardedvegans at gmail.com. In today's episode, we will talk about what we've been eating, answer a listener question, break down this week's news, and then move on into our main discussion of the week. Is veganism growing in the far right? And if so... How do we respond to that? Hmm. 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 Quite the quandary, Paul. Quite. But before we get into that stuff, we have a, a, a non-bearded vegans related podcast announcement. Right, Andy? That is. It's only taken us a few months, but we just released episode four of Epic Nitpick, our little little side project podcast where we talk about film. So if you want to hear us talk about Blade Runner 2049, head over to iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts and look up Epic Nitpick and you'll find it. Cool. So back into our regularly scheduled bearded nonsense. Andy, what have you been eating? (laughs) Well, I just had a fantastic weekend in Dallas, Texas at the Texas Veggie Fair. And I, you know, I missed it last year due to some scheduling conflicts. And let me tell you, this is quickly becoming one of my favorite events to do. Uh, Massive crowd came out. Everyone was so nice. The food lines were very, very long. So I did not get to try any food except for some donuts from Cake Thieves while I was there. But I did get to try out some some new vegan spots in the Dallas area. And so the one that I really want to talk about is called V Eats or perhaps you might call it Veets, <laughs> and they are kind of like a southern cooking comfort food type of place. I went for the brunch. The brunch was highly recommended by several people there. So I was really tempted to get the chicken and waffles, but then this other dish caught my eye, and it was a southern fried portobello mushroom with okay. like a creamy gravy, and it came with, they called, I think they call them their vegs or veet eggs or whatever it was, basically a tofu scramble, and hash browns as well, and... I'm a sucker for a good hash brown, Paul. And these are, I don't know, I'm always confused by the terminology of like the ways potatoes are cut and then cooked up for breakfast. But these are the kind where it's like they're like like grated potatoes, like Waffle House style hash browns. And they cook them on the grill and they get really crispy. And I am a sucker for those. So they were great. The tofu scramble was fine. I wish it was just tofu. I wish there was some veggies in it. Could use maybe a little more pizzazz in the seasoning or something. But this portobello mushroom was so perfectly fried. It had this great, crispy, crunchy, flavorful outer breading, and it never got soggy despite the fact that they put a ton of this this creamy gravy on top of it. The only thing that was weird was they put these tortilla strips on top, which you feel like normally that would just be there to add like a texture to something that's soft, but you already have this very crunchy portobello. So it was kind of, that was weird. And I just Hmm. brushed those off eventually. (laughs) Uh, But everything else was, was really good. I would love to come back Their Their dinner menu looks spectacular. So I can't wait to try them again. And that was V eats in Dallas. And then the other place I just want to mention, Paul, 
one yep. of my my happy places, the Alamo <laughs> Draft House, and I am a grumpy old man, and I hate going to theaters where people can talk, and unfortunately, that's the vast majority of movie theaters. But the Alamo Draft House, Paul. They they put the hammer down on talking and texting. They make it very easy for you to like snitch on other people that are talking and texting, so you can get them kicked out if they do. This is a movie theater, right? This is a movie theater. Yeah, and uh, it's like a dream come true. They have like uh, service within the theater, like servers are coming in, bringing you drinks and whatnot. Which one would think? Well, they do all this effort to get people to not talk and text, but they have people serving food and coming in and out during the movie. It's not nearly as distracting as you might think. And I think also it's just sort of this aspect of it's expected. It's a part of the experience. Whereas someone talking just means they're a jerk. So. <laughs> Uh, they, they've been expanding their vegan options over the years, and they introduced a vegan menu in Austin a few years ago, and one of the things on it was this buffalo cauliflower, which I was excited to get, and I got it, and it was really mushy and soggy and just not that great, but I, I rolled the dice, and I got it again during said viewing of Blade Runner 2049, and it was so perfectly crispy. It comes with a vegan ranch. Uh, although it was kind of odd because the, the description on the menu said it comes with vegan ranch. And when I ordered it, my server was like, do you want regular ranch or vegan ranch? And I'm just like, why would you ever give someone the option of that? Yeah, it, you yeah. Know, It's kind of like it's it says in the menu description that it comes with vegan ranch. So people are expecting that's what it's coming with. And so it's just weird that they would go out of their way to give someone the non-vegan option. But anyway, it was great. Props to Alma Draft House. I hope they continue to add more vegan options. So much of what they do could be so easily veganizable. I'm, I'm honestly really shocked that they haven't made more of an effort to include more vegan options. But overall, such a great establishment, great place to see a movie, and I'm glad to see them growing their vegan options. At least it's on their radar. Yes, yes, definitely. And like, I don't know, they just need to get some like some vegan cheese for their pizzas and some you know vegan milkshakes going on. They'd get a lot more money from the vegans. And uh, I do have to say, a lot of beardos came out to the Texas Veggie Fair. So a quick thank you to Stephanie, Josh, Avery, Marty, Christine, and Michelle for coming out, saying hi, picking up a button. Thank you once again. Thank you. I didn't see you, but thank you for saying hi to Andy. (laughs) Yes. I do have to say, our our friend Josh was running the Compassion Code table in Boston this weekend. Apologies to anyone that thought that he would have buttons and stickers for people. I thought we made it clear, but I guess not because a few people did come by asking for them. So I think I'll I'll try and start sending those to people, even if Paul or I won't be at a VegFest, just so people can stop by and pick them up. But thank you to all the beardos that did come out uh, to Boston and said hi at the Compassion Code table. Yeah. So let's move on to a listener question. So today's question comes into us from KDR, who emailed in, Hey guys, I love the podcast, and I'm wondering if you are okay with people adding you individually on Facebook. (laughs) (laughs) Good question. Good question. Yeah, Paul, what what do you think about this? I certainly get requests from people that are obviously beardos, and and then sometimes I just get random requests. I'm like, how does this person know me? Um, What's your policy on this? For Facebook, I'm I think I'm usually a little more hesitant. Like if I if I look at someone's that profile that requests me and I have I cannot seem to figure out like any sort of connection that I would have to them, I might delete it. If I see that like they're vegan, then I'll be like, Okay, I'll add this person. I have no idea how they came to my profile, but I'll still add them. So if you <laughs> if you have tried to add me and I have not been able to determine how you know me then apologies if i have deleted you if not i probably added you so yeah i'm i guess i'm cool with it 
It's fine. Yeah, I would say for for me, I'm someone I do like a lot of things. So I, whenever someone sends me a request, I'm never sure for what reason they are adding me. So if unless I have like a bunch of mutuals with someone, I'm usually not quick to add. And I usually have like, don't mean to brag, Paul, but like a hundred <laughs> like requests just like sitting there. And then like, you know, I'll, I'll like one afternoon every like four months, I'll be like, let me go through and add, add some of these people. So yeah, you're welcome to add me. Understand that I almost never talk about vegans. If you're looking for like more opinions about things, my Facebook is not the place where that happens. That happens over at our Bearded Vegans Facebook page or the Compassion Co. page. So don't add it for that. But if you want to see pictures of like dogs or like videos that I think <laughs> are funny, you're welcome to add me. But if you're if you we don't have mutual friends, send a message first and be like, hey, I'm a beard artist in the show. And then I'll, and then I'll give you an ad. So. Yeah, yeah. I am not as popular as Andy, but I too rarely post on Facebook. On my Facebook, it's mostly just animal animal videos. It's usually me tagging Paul in like <laughs> Slipknot memes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. more. I mean, if you want to add me on Instagram, I feel like that's probably where I'm the most active on social media. So go ahead and do that if you can find that one. Yeah, so. all of this is with the caveat of if you can find it. Yeah. <laughs> so. There you go, Katie R. If I get a request from someone with, named Katie with the last name R, I will uh, probably accept it. I, you know, with Halloween coming up, I feel like Katie should be a pirate. Katie R. Katie R. All right. Great, great joke. <laughs> Thank you, Paul. All right. Let's move on into the news. This first item we have kind of ties into our discussion two episodes ago about what's going to happen to all those non-vegan jobs. So this one's coming to us from BBC.com. Welsh farmers raise concerns over rise in veganism. Wales Dairy Show chairman Colin Evans said a rise in vegan celebrities meant farmers needed to prove that they produce food in a healthy manner. The Dairy Show's Mr. Evans said the growth in the vegan movement was worrying for the industry. It must be of concern to us. Celebrities are now getting behind promotional drives for veganism or vegetarianism, he said. We must have the answers ready for those people and to prove that we do look after our animals and we do produce food in a healthy manner. NFU, oh boy, here we go. (laughs) (laughs) NFU Symru Milk Board member Gareth Richards, a dairy farmer at... You got this, Paul. I believe in you. (laughs) Altai Ferdin Farm in (laughs) Abergwilly... Carmar Thenshire (laughs) said farmers needed to do more to promote their produce. I apologize to anyone that lives in any of those places. (laughs) We don't go out and publicize ourselves enough. It's something we definitely need to do more of, whether it's about talking to shoppers in the supermarket, in farmers markets, or whatever, he said. He added, the vegan activism we've seen in the UK level in recent months represents an extremist view of dairy farming, which portrays a completely inaccurate image of the UK dairy industry. Or, or whatever. Or whatever. Just a 12-year-old, <laughs> just a disaffected 12-year-old, whatever, or whatever. So this was, you know, I, I like you said, Andy, we kind of were talking about the issues specifically in the UK a couple episodes ago, but then also I thought it was really interesting how the chairman was specifically talking about the rise in vegan celebrities and that that was the thing that was worrying them the most was like the, the, the PR that veganism is getting from vegans and vegetarian celebrities because Andy, if you, if you maybe recall, we've had 
two two episodes about vegan celebrities. One giant episode that we decided to split into two. And Andy, do you remember which episodes those were? You know, off the top of my head, I would have to guess it's episode 47 and 48. Our celebrities good for veganism, part one and two. Great memory. Um, <laughs> so, like, we've had this lengthy discussion, and, and, and I feel like this was a long time ago, but I feel like the conclusion we came to was that putting putting all of our vegan eggs in that basket in the celebrity basket was probably we thought was not the wisest thing to do because a lot of times celebrities they stop being vegan or they're being vegan for maybe they're just going doing like it as a diet and then people kind of latch on to that and then once they the celebrity stops the, the people stop as well so we were kind of skeptical about it but this is someone from the dairy industry saying hey this is a big deal so maybe we're maybe we were wrong paul yes Andy? we're always wrong <laughs> <laughs> that's true yeah i think we saw the value in well-known people mentioning the word vegan promoting veganism we're just kind of wary of when they do and it's just Oh, I'm trying a vegan taco, and everyone's like, "Oh my God, Miley Cyrus is vegan now!" Or you know, whatever <laughs> it is, whoever that Kendall Jenner, I think. But yeah, I mean, clearly, big names talking about veganism in a favorable manner is going to be bad for those that exploit animals. You know, whether it's long-lasting or far-reaching or whatever it might be is, I guess, up for debate. But certainly, the more people that talk about veganism in a positive light is a good thing. So yeah, it's interesting to see them be willing to make public statements about how bad vegan celebrities have been for their business. Yeah. No. So it's interesting. Maybe, maybe an issue worth revisiting at some point, preferably not over two episodes. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe we could make it our first three parter. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You know, this is interesting because there's actually an article that came out recently on veg news that said vegan milk puts a dent in western europe's dairy sales so not quite the uk but close uh and just i'm going to read from that ever so briefly a new report compiled by market research firm euro monitor revealed that the dairy sector is the worst performing in terms of sales across western europe while euro monitor found that general food sales grew across europe by 12.9 percent from 2012 to 2017 the compounded annual growth rate of dairy in Western Europe was 0.27%, which I feel like is almost statistically insignificant. Yeah. It's, it's pretty close to, to being zero. So Euromonitor senior research analyst Leonardo Freitas credited the shift to an increased interest in plant-based milk across people in Western Europe. Quote, a recent and significant change in lifestyle and consumer choices have been shifting the category throughout the region and driving the decline for dairy. So, yeah, we've definitely talked about the decline in dairy sales in the U.S. at least uh, a few times on the show. And, like, Paul, I, I f- as, as we've seen, this is kind of a trend that is just continuing and like generation to generation, less and less people are consuming dairy. There was, of course, that big dairy bailout that did happen, which was really concerning to us and, and really disheartening. But it feels like it's going to get to a point when it's like, not even going to make sense for the government to try and bail out dairy. And I feel like if, if we had to plug one specific animal product that, that won't be, that's going to go before all the others, I feel, it feels like dairy is going to be the one. Yeah. I, I definitely agree with that. I think that everyone is drinking almond milk now. It's like everyone's drinking coconut milk. Now it's like people that this is not even on their radar in the slightest are open to drinking these plant-based milks, which, you know, is still an issue for 
the replacement meats like like beyond meat and all that and all that tofurkey and all that stuff it's still an issue to get people to even try them but with the plant-based milks i feel like people have no it's just like a thing that a lot of people do now even if they have no other concerns about animal issues definitely and it's become so normalized and i think the fact that people can get almond milk at like Dunkin' Donuts and almond and coconut milk at Starbucks. And, and actually, Starbucks just announced that, you know, those like bottled frappuccinos that they sell in the glass bottles at like you know, grocery stores and, and convenience stores. Mm-hmm. They just announced that they're going to be releasing an almond milk version of that. Uh, and then I, I guess originally they said it still wasn't going to be 100% vegan, but then Veg News contacted someone. They confirmed that they are going to be 100% vegan. But either way, it's totally normalizing the consumption of plant-based milks. And I, I remember when I went vegan, you know, 10 years ago, soy milk was like this bizarre, weird, gross thing. It's, you know, obviously almond milk is more popular. People aren't as scared of almonds as they are of soy, but... Now it's just like, yeah, everyone drinks this stuff and it's not weird to do it anymore. And most people seem to prefer it. So, yeah, dairy's days are numbered. They are numbered and their number is (laughs) (laughs) 0.27%. Thanks for sharing that, Andy. Yeah, my pleasure. Paul, Mm -hmm. what's going on in Houston right now? So from HoustoniaMag.com, I found an article called free, quote, flu shots at a Houston vegan restaurant. Question mark? (laughs) (laughs) So reading from that. Let's just say I haven't been sick in seven years, Daniel Cazada said with an assured smile. Every Sunday and Wednesday, we offer a free flu shot with any purchase. I've had a flu shot twice a week for seven years. (laughs) They're drinks made with a special blend of very concentrated ginger, garlic, apple, and lime. Although interested, I was distracted by the textbook on the table. This ninth edition self-diagnosis manual, created by the owner in collaboration with a team of botanists and herbalists, contains pages of drink creations intended to cure many ailments. It is a mixologist's answer to natural medicine and a guide offered to each customer. Open until 3 a.m. on weekdays or 5 a.m. on weekends, Houston's late crowd has a healthy option to combat their post-party cravings. However, there are a couple of offerings amusingly labeled as nasty items on the menu, one with higher calories or cooked with meat that releases lots of animal fat, if desired. And the last little bit it says is that the fare is 75% vegetarian and any dish can be made vegan by requesting the removal of dairy. So, Paul, first mm-hmm. thing I have to say is I assume that that question mark in the title free flu shots at Houston vegan restaurant is just referring to the fact that it's definitely not a vegan restaurant. <laughs> is yeah. this a vegan restaurant? Yeah, that's true. It is not a vegan restaurant. I, I also this isn't the reason why I wanted to bring up this article as a whole, but I was also curious as to like if they're labeling their non-vegan items as nasty, why, why <laughs> include them? Why include these items? <laughs> That is very curious. Very, very curious. Like, I would guess it's because they fe- maybe they feel like they need to include them in order to survive as a restaurant. But they want to make people feel <laughs> shitty for ordering them. Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of weird. I thought that that aspect of it was a little weird. You know, either do it or don't do it. Preferably don't do it. But if you're going to do it, 
don't like shame people for ordering specific dishes. <laughs> I picture going up and be like, yeah, I'll have the I'm an irredeemable piece of shit burger <laughs> to go, please. And then whenever whenever someone orders it, the all the, the, the person taking the order is like, oh, we got a nasty boy over here. <laughs> nasty boy ordering the nasty burger. It makes me think about um, Cafe Gratitude. I've talked about them on the show, but all of their dishes are like, I am inspirational. I am wonderful. I am vibrant, whatever. <laughs> so you say that to your server, and then when they bring you your food, they're like, you are vibrant. You are inspirational. You know, it's like super hippy-dippy. <laughs> But yeah, that applied to these things. Like, you're a pile of garbage. <laughs> you are a nasty boy. <laughs> nasty, nasty boy. I feel like Janet Jackson could be in our outro music future. <laughs> so, so yeah, th- that's that's an interesting aspect of it. But the main part, I was kind of, I don't know. We, I, I don't remember if it was, what, two episodes ago? We kind of talked about veganism as this the magic, the magic bullet, the magic cure all for everything. It's it's a topic that we've talked about many times on the show, but I I, I just felt like this was a, a glaring example of that. Like, you're not going to get sick if you have this this flu shot that that I conveniently offer to you for some amount of money that you have to pay for, and then like the whole kind of self diagnosis manual that's that's created by the owner. I feel like it's like ugh, it it, it like I don't know, it weirds it weirds me out a little bit. Yeah, and, like, I don't want to discount the healing and, like, preventative nature of consuming whole, you know, plant-based foods. Like, obviously, for some people, it is something that works really well for them. I think where this stuff starts to scare me is when if someone is a vegan and they do get the flu or they do get sick, it leads to all of that, the the shaming, the disease shaming that we talked about in that our live episode with Carol Adams. And you know it's something that like ultimately like really is bad for the health of vegans because people are it makes them less willing to go get help for something because they're going to be worried about being told that they're not really vegan or they're doing it wrong or just sort of shamed for the way that they're practicing their veganism and so i i do worry how this type of thing will come off i'm also I'm not I'm not saying this person's doing it. I'm not saying Daniel's doing it, but I am also skeptical of people who say learn the things like hey, this is a thing. Learn how to figure out what's bad about yourself and then when you figure out what's bad about yourself, conveniently I offer the thing that's to fix that, to fix those those things. But this person is to their credit giving it away for free 2 days a week. Oh, it is free. Oh, you're right. It is free. That's true. With, I mean, with purchase, but yeah, but it is still it is still free. No, you're right. I gotta give him gotta give him some credit for that. Yeah, uh, you know, it's funny because you you first sent me this article, Paul, and I was reading it, and like before, I kind of like I thought this was going to be something about like flu shots aren't technically vegan, you know, whatever it is. Because I was thinking about like I guess vaccines use egg whites in the production or whatever. I thought this was going to be something along those lines. And then it was like this restaurant's giving them out and I was like that's curious. Like what an interesting like oh they're they're trying to turn the tide of like the anti-science vegans and basically like no flu shots are good for you and then it was like i get two flu shots a week and i was like jesus christ that seems like way too many flu shots uh such this guy just looks like it looks like bane from batman he's got like all these tubes tubes going into him just a flu shot iv just pure flu going in 
Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I don't know. If if you're into taking these flu shots and it's working for you, cool. But like, let's make sure that we're not walking into dangerous, disease shamey territory with all of this stuff. Well put, Andy. So I think moving on from there, we got some, I would say, good news. Good news to share, Andy. What do you got? You know, I bet some would say this is not good news, Paul. (laughs) But not I. Not I. So this is coming to us from the Washington Post. And again, all these links will be in our show notes at thebeardvegans.com. Meatless Mondays coming to 15 New York City schools. So reading from that article. New York City's mayor says 15 public schools in Brooklyn will forego meat on their Monday menus starting this spring. Hey, Andy. Yes, Paul? You talking about Mayor de Blasio? (laughs) Bill de Blasio. Bill de Blasio. (laughs) I love your impression because it sounds nothing like him. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think I've ever heard him talk before. (laughs) It's just a guess. That's what a New York City mayor sounds like. Yeah. Uh, Democratic Mayor Bill de Blasio says he will also be instituting the Meatless Mondays policy at Gracie Mansion, the mayor's residence. De Blasio made the announcement on Monday during a visit to PS1, one of five schools in the city serving vegetarian meals every day of the week. So this is, I think, pretty big news. I think this is definitely a big step. I think we must have talked about Meatless Monday campaigns or Meatless Monday as like an individual practice very early on in in the show's developments, perhaps in our discussion about single-issue campaigns. Paul. Mm-hmm. How are you feeling about this development? I feel like it's a, it's like a step in the right direction. It, you're making students eat at least vegetarian. I, I'm assuming it's not not completely vegan, but you're like kind of taking meat out of the equation. And I, even though I think it's like I want it to go further from here, I think it's a good start to be like, okay, we're gonna at least on this one day we're we're removing this thing from the equation it's not even an an option anymore and i'm hoping that it kind of i'm hoping that it gains momentum from this point on that it, it that it expands to other schools or like it says in the article or it expands to or, or or it turns more schools into being completely vegetarian or and then eventually completely vegan. So it's it's already a thing. Like he visited this one of one of five schools that always serve vegetarian meals. I I'm rambling, but my point is that I I wouldn't unfortunately I wouldn't expect to see schools regular schools serving meat lunches to then turn into every school serving vegan lunches. I feel like this is the bridge to that. This is the bridge that we need. And, and to kind of implement these sorts of schools, I do see it as a, as a positive step. Definitely. And I think that when we talk about these things, it's sort of important to talk about the difference between individual change and institutional change, because I think this kind of relates to our discussion about that that vegan prison experiment that happened that's happening that we talked about last episode mm-hmm. in that you know what people are being fed in institution and this is you know obviously prisoners are like much more quote unquote forced to eat what is given to them but even someone that say like relies on their school lunch program or someone that works in like a government building and they just rely on whatever is going to get fed to them from their cafeteria you know, situations where like the individual choice is kind of stripped away from people. If they're going to be forced, quote unquote, forced to eat something, then it might as well be the vegan option. So I think that 
if this school is going to be purchasing a bunch of meals, they might as well be purchasing the vegetarian one. Yeah. And so I, I think from that regard, you know, again, vegan, uh, vegetarian is not vegan. So, so we do see the, the downsides to this. You know, like obviously some people are, would be upset that people are switching from meat to cheese, but I think that there is a bigger like mental leap that people have to take to get rid of meat from their diets and, and so I think that like if the meat is gone, then they're starting to think much more in like a meat free mindset. Whereas if, the, if there's no cheese in their meal, that's probably not, it doesn't seem like it's as big of a deal. Uh, mm-hmm. Some people, some people might feel differently about that, but, but basically sort of forcing people to have these vegetarian options. And then hopefully they are good <laughs> vegetarian options that will have the impact of one, reducing the amount of meat that is purchased to feed all these people. But also it kind of is just de facto exposing them to all of these meat free options. And hopefully that gets people less scared about trying these things outside. Maybe they start to make the black bean chili for themselves at home and hopefully it does act as like a bridge to all vegan schools. And kind of like you were saying, Paul, I think that this is this is a place where I'm like, baby steps make sense to me. And, you know, say this school is vegetarian for 10 years. It wouldn't be so weird for them to be like, you know, we're just going to go all vegan now. But yeah, you'd imagine there'd probably be a lot of parental outcry if it went from being a school that served meat every day to being strictly vegan overnight. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that this is one instance, like when we're talking about an institutional level, those kind of baby steps, I think, are are great. And I think that they can work to expose people to to you know, meat free options that, that wouldn't be exposed to them otherwise. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm still I'm still on team vegan education as, as primary objective number one. But I think that having people work on these issues as well can have a really big impact. Agreed. And and actually just did a little bit of research onto PS1, the school that the announcement was made from that is all vegetarian. And it did say that they have vegan options as well. And and so just to read some of those at, at PS1, lentil sloppy joes, pasta fagioli, Mexicali chili, braised black beans with plantains. <clears throat> I mean, sounds good. Black beans with plantains and teriyaki <laughs> crunchy tofu. And I'm just like, damn, like, can I get in on that? Like some of that <laughs> stuff sounds really good. So yeah, it, it, as long as that stuff's being prepared well, like I think it's really setting up these, these kids for, you know, not thinking vegan and vegetarian food is this super weird food to be consuming. It's just like this normal thing that they get at their school. So right on. Yeah. Big, big props, big old props, big old props. <laughs> So I, th- I think that's all we got for news today, Andy, right? I, bl- I, b- I believe you're correct, Paul. <laughs> so now let's move on into our main discussion of the week. So our, our question of the week, as we stated at the top of the episode, is we're asking, is veganism growing in the far right? Because there's been a Vice article going around that we will be talking about shortly that sort of poses that as something that's happening. And then we really want to ask the question, if that is the case, how do we respond to this? So, Paul, let's mm-hmm. let's get this rolling with that, that aforementioned Vice article. Yeah, so I'm not... I don't really feel the need to read through this entire article. I'm just going to kind of give you a summary of it. But the article, which 
is which just got uh, put out recently is titled why so many white supremacists are into veganism and essentially it's just talking about how as like because of recent events because of charlottesville this has become an issue that while certainly always present has definitely been pushed to the forefront of of a lot of for a lot of people uh, that maybe weren't thinking about it before and what the article is trying to trying to put forward is this idea that in addition to just like white supremacy either being on not necessarily on the rise but being more prevalent that there's a like a subgroup of white supremacists that are vegan and and the article is trying to put forward kind of ideas about why that maybe makes sense and they go ahead and they give a few examples they give an example of this like youtuber that was going by simply vegan that had a youtube channel back in 2012 started it called simply vegan and how their youtube channel slowly turned into this this other channel that was just putting forward these white supremacy ideas and ideology and then it talks about how on on a white supremacist website there's like a whole kind of sub page about like using quotes from historical nazis kind of promoting why veganism for ethical reasons not just for like health why veganism makes sense as a white supremacist ideology and this is how the article concludes so i'm just gonna read this little paragraph White nationalist veganism can sound somewhat absurd, but it also shows how complex and deeply rooted this ideology is and how it can appeal to a variety of different audiences. To combat these racist movements, we must understand them, including how they can incorporate beliefs we usually associate with liberal or leftist politics. The diversity of this movement should not be underestimated. And and this... So I... I tried doing a little bit more research about this specific topic and, and trying to find more stuff about veganism specifically in like white supremacist circles or the far, far right communities. And, and I wasn't able to find too, too much about it. You know, I found these, these few specific examples that they listed in this article, but it maybe was a, hyperbole to say to use the title why so many white supremacists are into veganism there i'm not denying that there are certainly some but it was hard for me to gauge how prevalent of an issue it was andy do you have any any kind of inkling about that um you know it's hard because obviously we run in circles that are actively combating white supremacy and and this is not something that I've – to this regard, uh, certainly – and I don't want anything that we're saying to be misconstrued as saying that there isn't racism present within veganism, that there aren't racist vegans, that the ways a lot of people promote veganism is not necessarily inclusive of folks that aren't white. All, all of these things, as we've talked about many times on the show, certainly are issues – and and I don't want to say just because I haven't seen this doesn't mean that it's not a problem, but it is it is curious to me that this isn't something like this this level of extreme you know white supremacy within veganism isn't something that I see talked about too often when you know I'm friends with and fall out of folks that would be way more likely to be bringing these issues up, and so so I agree with you, Paul, that there's probably some or maybe a lot of hyperbole in that title. Because it does kind of make it sound like 
white supremacy and veganism are like really hand in hand. And I guess because even just like reading this article, um, like one of the first things they talk about is Hitler is a well-known vegetarian, which is like an argument that I'm so tired of because like, well, if Hitler was a vegetarian, what does that prove? Like you could look at so many other dictators and horrible people out there that eat animal products. And it's like either one doesn't prove anything necessarily right yeah um and and then especially because this article links when they're like hitler's well-known vegetarianism and like links to an article and i read the article and in the article it's like yeah he sort of talked about it but his favorite food was pigeon and he really liked to eat these sausages and you're like so like your source that you're saying about hitler's well-known vegetarianism is talking about how he also eats animals yeah so it that that right off the bat kind of made me take a lot of what this article was saying with a grain of salt. And I think that also, that kind of plays into like you take a statistic and you place it in a way that's more favorable to your case than it necessarily really is. And if someone figures that out and discovers that, then all of a sudden everything else in your documentary is going to be subject to more scrutiny and like people just might not be as willing to accept it so so this thing starting right off the bat with that piece of information that's like so willing to prove a point with something that's not necessarily true that kind of had me feeling like okay where else is this article stretching the truth but again all of that is to say obviously there is an issue here regardless of if it's a huge issue it's certainly something that we don't want to ignore we want to talk about we want to talk about what we can do about it so yeah that that's my long rambly way of addressing your question paul yeah. and and thank you eddie <laughs> and so so like i said i was trying to do more research onto this specific topic and i couldn't find too much but then it kind of led me to want to investigate well I can't find too much about veganism in the the like the extreme extreme right, but what about just veganism in the far right, or what about just veganism in the, in the right? What about like ultra conservative veganism? Like, is that a thing? What's that community like? So I started doing research just in general about Republican and conservative veganism, and I I think I found a few interesting articles around that. And reading those articles led me to develop a few different questions. So. Yeah, let's let's get into it. The the first <laughs> this first one I found, a real short one from our good friends at PETA with just a real just a real uh real great first line. So this is called Republican Vegans Eating Rogue. Who's putting the party into Republican Party? Vegans. Rick I want to Rick Carlgard, publisher of Forbes magazine, recently explained his mostly vegan diet on the Huffington Post, attributing his healthy and lively existence to his compassionate food choices. Carlgard is proof that kindness shows no party lines. So now we're calling on you, Republican vegans. We want to hear your stories. Tell us what made you choose to eat humanely and how it's changed your life for the better. That's all it was. And very short, very short. I thought it was they use an interesting example of someone who is seems to be saying that they're vegan for health reasons, but then saying, like, look at this great example of someone that's doing this for compassionate reasons. So I thought that was kind of interesting. So that was kind of like my first dive into the the Internet world of Republican and conservative vegans. But this next source, I think, is going to be the one that is 
the most interesting to talk about, the most interesting to pick apart. This is from the National Review, which is a conservative website. It's a conservative publication. And this one's titled, this article is titled, Pro-Life Lions and Pro-Animal Lambs Are Beginning to Find Each Other. Some of us have been saying for a while now that animal welfare is a moral issue transcending the usual ideological lines, or at least that it ought to be. Matthew Scully has written on NRO, which is the National Review, with singular passion and beauty about just this. And then they go on to list, uh, in addition to Matthew Scully, who seems to be a, a big, a big time, like conservative proponent of veganism. They list a, a bunch of other like conservative and Christian vegans that kind of run in these similar circles. Then they go on to talk about how uh, Governor Chris Christie vetoed the gestation crate ban and the reason that he vetoed it despite having despite the ban being favorable to 93% of New Jersey citizens he was vetoing it for political reasons and then they talk about that and they say whether Christie's gambit costs him elsewhere on the way to Iowa or not there's a sizable irony lurking in this passing but pregnant spectacle for while some on the left lash Christie for selling out on animals in order to please conservatives, within American conservatism itself, a growing coalition of newly attentive carnivores, vegetarians, and vegans is steadily acquiring new momentum. In fact, it's no exaggeration, exaggeration to say that the freshest thinking on animal welfare these days is emanating not from the left, but rather from the writers who are Christian or conservative, or both. And where ideas are today, activism of a kind not seen before may be tomorrow. And uh, in this last, it's a pretty long article. In this last paragraph, it says, And so it is today. The momentum in conservative and traditionalist circles towards a consistent ethic of life is arising not by accident in an age of omnipresent abortion, but on account of it. That's why the new moral thinking is thriving among those who take abortion seriously. They are people who see in animal cruelty not just an episodic act, but a gateway drug to the culture of death itself. It's an unexplored story that is only beginning to be written, but the outline is there. The pro-life lions and the pro-animal lambs are just beginning to find each other. But plainly, there are more of them all the time. And down the road, the result might just be to remake some of politics as many, both left and right, now know it. So... That was an article from a just like a straight conservative website. And just this last quick article I want to read before we delve into this is from onegreenplanet.org. And this one's titled, Can It Be True? Liberals and Conservatives Actually Agree on Animal Rights? Recently, animal welfare has started riding the line between left and right wing. Conservatives are not only coming out as vegetarian and vegan, but some right-wing politicians are starting to support more ethical treatment of animals, specifically in the farming industry. Although many have been saying it all along, animal rights is an issue that should transcend political views, and it seems like we may finally, as a culture, be seeing changes that indicate acceptance of animal welfare as a problem that needs attention across the political spectrum. Conservative animal rights activist and PETA staff writer Allison Green writes, When you think about it, there's nothing partisan about compassion, and conservatives, who have as much heart as anybody, shouldn't want there to be. 
Matthew Scully, speechwriter for several politicians, journalist, vegan, and animal rights supporter, has long been an advocate for this way of thinking. Scully, who is also an avid pro-life supporter, feels that animal rights should be considered as an issue in the same category as the debate on abortion. Compassion for animals doesn't drain away some finite reserve of moral energy and idealism to the detriment of human welfare, but surely adds to the supply, writes Scully in his article, Pro-Life, Pro-Animal. And then the article concludes with, Certain things, such as animal cruelty, are fundamentally wrong. It doesn't matter what your religion, your political affiliation, or where you're from. Thankfully, this is finally beginning to be universally accepted, especially in the area of animal rights. People are coming together not as liberals or conservative activists, but as activists. Whew. So, I just threw a lot of stuff at you, Andy. I think I, I think I caught most of it. I th- think you caught most of it. Currently juggling. Currently juggling. I think I want to start off this uh, our talk with this might be like a very I don't know if this is too broad to start off with, but maybe it's good to start off broad. But something that kind of I thought was interesting that especially in this last article and then kind of alluding to it in the in the other article, the conservative article, was this idea that compassion is fundamental and nonpartisan that that compassion doesn't know any political lines and 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 because compassion is nonpartisan compassion for animals should be accepted and and put forward by everyone no matter what your political affiliation and i i thought that that argument was interesting because to me like most issues most political issues that are the most like highly divisive issues like abortion on on the right or like every other human issue or healthcare or all these other like other like immigration and these sorts of things that are usually put forward by the left like they're using the same thing like this is this is about compassion like you should have compassion for these humans which is why you should like support healthcare you should have compassion for these humans which is why you should like support refugees and what these articles are trying to do though is is make it seem like compassion for animals is is like a a different category and and i i i don't necessarily see it that way like I, i i i wish that everyone was compassionate individuals and they were compassionate towards other humans and they were compassionate towards animals but people do things politicians make policies that in my opinion are very uncompassionate choices and are motivated by dozens of other things besides compassion it's very low on that list despite what they would probably say to the public so andy i just wanted to get your thoughts on that this idea that that these articles are trying to say, or at least the last one is trying to say, we should all come together to fight for animals because compassion is nonpartisan. Huh, that's a good question, Paul. You're making me think this episode. <laughs> and and I do, and I will add one caveat that I do think it's it's interesting to note that while the compassion argument is typically used on the on the left like when when people are talking about human issues when people are talking about healthcare when people are talking about refugees and stuff like that those are typically issues being put forward by the left but i think that conservatives also use that same argument when they're talking about abortion as well so it's it is like a tactic that's used 
to some extent on both sides to say like you need to be compassionate that's why you should have the same opinion as me type type of thing yeah that's man paul that you are throwing some good questions out here (laughs) i like in yeah i don't know i don't know i'm in theory, I do believe compassion and not wanting to hurt others should be a bipartisan issue or nonpartisan issue. And I guess I'm 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 glad again, we you know how we talk about how we're the most effective when we advocate to those that are like us. And a lot of that kind of goes back to the backfire effect episode that we did. We were talking about how you have to sort of fill the gap, which is essentially this idea of if you're trying to get someone to change, you have to let them know that changing one specific thing doesn't mean they're changing their worldview necessarily. Mm-hmm. So I do think that someone who is say very left leaning, trying to get someone who is very right leaning to change. And then also being like, well, you also have to start caring about all these other issues. It's going to be a lot harder for them to do that. But if it is a fellow person on the right that has all these other beliefs in what would be typically considered like sort of right leaning beliefs, they're a lot more likely to get that person to go vegan. So, so like from that standpoint, I'm like, I guess I'm glad that these folks are are making this connection in within their own social circles and their own political circles. Like, I'm like, I guess that's, that is what I, I want them to be doing, you know? Yeah. And I guess this idea that, Everyone should care about animals, which, of course, we agree with. This is something that is used by a lot of advocates. I think a lot of the main groups will point to this statistic of saying, listen, in these polls, 95, you know, I'm just throwing out a number right now, but it's something high like that. Like 95% of people agree that cruelty to animals is wrong. And you'd be hard pressed to find any other issue that so many people agree with, Mm -hmm. you know, so so this is a tactic that is used kind of on both sides of the aisle. It's something that everyone is is like, well, of course you should care about animals. I don't, I don't know, Paul. I don't know if <laughs> I, I honestly just don't know if, if we could make a case that it's not a nonpartisan issue, but I, but I agree that someone who, who cares about and has compassion for animals it would make logical sense that they would also then have compassion for human beings and, and want health care or want to help refugees fleeing from a war torn country or whatever the, the issue might be. Mm-hmm. I, and, th- but this is the argument that people make when they're like, well, you care about feminism. So that means you have to be against dairy or you care about this social issue and you're a hypocrite unless you care about veganism as well. And I always find that to be unhelpful. And I get that people are trying to help others to make the connections between those things. You care about this. So it makes sense for you to care about that. And they think that that is a shortcut to getting people to care about a specific issue. Yeah. So, I, again, I, I don't know. And, and actually, what, what you just said leads me to another thought that popped into my head. And that's the, the, the specific tactic that I've seen some people say, some vegans say, that's that's like, oh, all these people that are anti-abortion, all these people that are protesting abortion, like they should be, if they care about life so much, they should be, they should be vegan. Like, why aren't you vegan? If you're, if you're so quote pro-life, why aren't you also vegan? And 
and I guess after reading these these conservative like after reading the conservative article, I guess what worries me not that not that it's going to convince me otherwise, but I guess what worries me is using a tactic like that is saying that it, to me to me when when I say well if you're anti-abortion you should also be vegan, I think that when I say that it's saying in to some extent it's okay to be anti-abortion as long as you are also vegan. And what, what kind of reinforce, what reinforces that concern of mine is what, like when I read these articles where there are vegans that are also anti-abortion, because then if you were using that tactic, if that was your tactic, you said, if you're anti-abortion, you've got to be vegan. Then what happens when the anti-abortion person goes vegan and then they say, okay, I'm vegan, so now you need to be anti-abortion because that was, that was the whole premise. <laughs> gotcha. And, and not that I – like I was saying, not that I think that that's going to be like, oh, well, you're right. Like my <laughs> – that, that's logical, so I guess I got to do that now. But I, I feel like the logic in that argument is not super strong if then the person – if when the person turns it around on you, it then doesn't apply to you. I don't know. I I don't know if this is maybe like a it's more philosophical than we need to be thinking about. Maybe I don't even need to be thinking about it this intently, because if that argument gets people to go vegan, is that the only thing that matters? Because I I don't I don't think too many people and maybe I'm wrong. I was going to say I don't think too many people would then be if the argument was used against them. If well, if you're vegan, you should be anti-abortion. Maybe that does convince people to, to swear their opinion on that, to swear their views on that. So I don't know. But even if it's like subconsciously, I feel like it, it reinforces that like, if this thing is, this thing is okay, so then you should do this. If you're this, then you should do this. So both of them are okay. And it's not just with this. I'm trying to think of another, another time where people, people use that argument. And it's not just with veganism. It's with a lot of political arguments. I see people saying like, well, if you're okay with this, then you should also be for this. And and to me, that's like saying you're condoning the first thing as long as they also do the second thing. Do you know what I mean, Andy? Yeah, that's definitely a tricky thing to navigate. I guess I, I wonder if it just sort of points to, to the fact that compassion is a nonpartisan issue and that basically there's almost any anything that you could point to and be like, well if you believe in this, then you should also be vegan, regardless of what it is. And I remember, I believe we had a mailbag episode where someone asked our question, that question, like, how do you feel about the connections between these two things? And I, I believe I said something along the lines of, I feel like it is more ethically consistent for an anti-abortion activist to be vegan but I feel like it's the most ethically consistent for someone to be vegan and also and also be on board with bodily autonomy for people who want to get an abortion kind of thing. Yeah. But it's like in either situation being vegan, like lends credence to, you know, whether you believe in, I guess the sanctity of life, which is, you know, I feel like that's kind of a weak justification for being anti-abortion and then not being for healthcare and all these other things. Right. But but Whether, then Andy, wait, Andy, but that's the argument that I was making, because if you say, if you say, <laughs> well, if you're if you're anti-abortion, then you have to be for health care. 
but then what then the person goes for then the person becomes in favor of healthcare and they say okay i'm in favor of healthcare like you so now are you anti abortion uh, i mean that's not <laughs> like that, that i feel like that's not the path that i'm trying to go down necessarily it's i, I guess i'm saying for someone to care so much about the value of life of a young, you know, a baby, a fetus, whatever, and then to not also support them once they're out of the womb seems hypocritical. Yeah. No, I, I, I completely agree. But, but, okay, but I do get it. Like, you're basically like, okay, I'm the biggest healthcare advocate, so now we have an amazing system for these babies to be born into, so you have to be anti-abortion because of that? Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. It's Damn like I, th- I think. Well, no, no, I think it's it's not necessarily the argument that you're trying to make. I think it's how you frame the argument because you can. I think you can point out how someone is being hypocritical while not reinforcing that it's okay to do one as long as you do two. You know. Yeah, I, I guess you could frame it in a manner that says. I know you believe in this and you believe that fighting against people getting abortions is the best way to preserve the sanctity of life. But have you ever thought that these other things are way more effective, you know, promoting birth control, promoting sex education, all of these things and the healthcare and all that, like that could be a way to change someone's mind or or get them to do some, to, to say, you should care about this thing if you care about this without reinforcing the first thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think the, the, the discussion that we're having right now is a perfect example of what I was, another thing I was going to ask you about Andy, which is like when we are, well, first of all, should we promote veganism to those that are on the opposite political spectrum as we are should we promote it to those people and if we do choose to promote it to those people how do we promote it to those people because it's from that from the like the one green planet article and then most definitely the PETA the blog post from PETA to me the way that they're promoting veganism is it's kind of saying like oh yeah you can do whatever like do whatever you want to do do your thing do your your do your terrible deeds as long as you're vegan and that's cool like the 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 vegan uh, the the pita thing just to me it seemed like it was so it was like pandering to <laughs> to republicans like who's put in the party into republican party like this cool cool party of republicans and I mean, it's definitely classic pita but then i guess that begs the question then should they ignore Republicans. Well, that that's what I was going to ask you, Andy. Is is what is the way? Because I'm not going to say is there a way because I think that there is. But what is the way to promote veganism to say Republicans? If you if you are on the far left and you're trying to promote some some veganism to the far right, what's the way to promote veganism while not also encouraging the other non-vegan related beliefs that these people have? I honestly just don't know if it's something that is the responsibility of someone on the far left to do. To, to wait, wait. Do you don't think it's their responsibility to to promote veganism or to to, to reach sure- out to people that have drastically different views? Like again, 
again, we are the best and we promote to those that are the most like us. And this kind of goes to our issue, or the episode that we did on tattoos. And we talk about how there's some people that say you have to wear a suit and do this to be respectable and advocate to certain people. But then it seems like you'll be very disingenuous if you put on a suit and you're trying to advocate to people that are making, you know, 300 grand a year and you're someone that makes 20 grand a year and they can, they can sniff you out. They know you're not one of them. And so why, why would it be the responsibility of someone on the far left to then go and promote veganism to someone on the far right? It's it, to me, it almost feels like it's a waste of time. <laughs> That's what we're here doing, I guess, but to have that conversation, it's try it's, it's basically to me, it's saying, how can we get young punk kids that are covered in tattoos to be more effective at advocating to Wall Street bankers? Yeah. And it's like, okay, I, I guess you could probably get the young punk kid that's covered in tattoos to to do something that'll be a little little more effective than than whatever they're currently doing. But wouldn't it be better to get the other Wall Street bankers that are vegan to go do that advocacy work? So so it's to me, it's almost like an exercise in futility to feel like we need to figure out how those of us that are more left leaning are going to be able to affect those that are more right leaning. My my retort to that was going to be, well, like there must be more vegan Democrats than vegan Republicans. So aren't we then missing out on like a huge population of people who who we would not be advocating to then. And I just did a quick Google and I, I'm not finding specific numbers, but I found a couple websites that have kind of been putting forward the idea that there's not a huge split when it comes to animal rights, when you break it down by between Democrat and Republican, which seems very interesting to me. It seems like it would be something that in terms of just Democrat versus Republican, it seems like Democrats would have a lot more vegans than Republicans, but maybe I'm wrong with that. In which case my next point wouldn't really matter or the point that I said wouldn't really matter because there would be an approximately equal number of people advocating to their own group. So then I guess we can, you know, if that is the case, I guess we can leave it to the people on the right to promote veganism in the right, leave it to the people on the left to promote veganism in the left. Is that what you, is that what you'd say? I guess, but then that also of course runs the risk of allowing people to promote veganism in a way that's like really alienating to others. But then I guess it's almost like my point is like, well, does it matter if this group on, say, just for instance, the far right is doing it in a way that's really alienating to others when they're not going to be the ones that are going to influence people in other groups to go vegan anyway. So why not let them do it the way they want to do it, which I feel like runs counter to like almost every episode we've ever put out. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And, And this was another issue I was I was thinking of is that it's like when we're when we are along with our promoting of veganism to what extent or if at all i'll say it do we need to to fight against those vegans that hold non-vegan related problematic views for instance i think most people would agree that as the first article is putting forward there are vegan white supremacists i think we can hopefully most vegans i hope <laughs> i really hope would be like no 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 like you need to you need to cut that out 
like you need to stop being a white supremacist you need to cut that shit out but and that but that's like an extreme case but then what about when we just talk about the general debates of right wing versus left wing like how do we how do we combat how those vegans are integrating their veganism with their other political beliefs versus how we're integrating our veganism with our political beliefs, which is obviously the correct way to do it, which is what we're doing. But how do we, (laughs) um, just kidding. But like, how do you know what I mean? Like to what extent do we need to like, and this is, this is the thing. This is what I think a lot of, I, I, when I see people, trying to put down you know intersectional veganism it's usually under the guise of we need to stop infighting because it's hurting animals and i think that this is exactly the topic that we're talking about is is it's like when people are getting into those other issues that aren't necessarily specifically vegan related but they interplay with their veganism and they affect their veganism or how their veganism is expressed like how do we how do we how do we navigate that guide me or is there an answer like what uh, uh, i don't know andy well i have certainly seen many advocates that that sort of play by that rule book of you should wear a suit and you should be as quote-unquote normal as possible kind of thing and they will often say that it's important to not bring these so-called extra issues into the equation when you're trying to advocate the idea that we're going to be the most effective if we don't bring any other issue into it. Because if we bring up some issue that, that another person disagrees with, then they're going to be more likely to disagree with us promoting veganism to them. Even, even if they're sort of inclined Mm -hmm. to be like, yeah, I shouldn't hurt animals if I don't want to, but you also believe in this thing that I don't believe in. So therefore I don't, I don't want to be like you, that doesn't fill the gap, so to speak, for me. And I have to change my worldview if I believe in veganism then, because that means I also have to believe in this thing that you believe in. So there is this sort of this this common wisdom, I'll say, from from these types of advocates that say we need to be as normal as possible, as uncontroversial as possible. And I guess I just disagree with that because it, it privileges promoting veganism to a certain sect of the population but leaves so many other people out of it. And I think if we do believe that all of these things are connected and that we're not really going to free ourselves of one without freeing ourselves of the other, that it is important to address all of these things. And there's ways to do it tactfully. There's ways to do it over, over time and all of these things. But I still think it's important that we do address those other issues. And I think that we need to be careful about welcoming in people that have these like very extreme views, like white nationalist views, because if, if all of a sudden we're making all this effort to include them, that means we're not making an effort to include other people that I think would probably be more beneficial to the movement anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like most of our podcast is dedicated to making sure we do talk about these other issues while we're talking about our veganism. And I I feel like the reason that I personally am having so much trouble coming up with thoughts or opinions about this specific topic is like, when I think about that, when I think about talking about these other issues as they relate to veganism or as they relate to our vegan advocacy, to me, it's like, 
I'm usually under the assumption that, like, okay, I think people generally have good intentions and they have they're they're like going in the right direction they just need a little they need a little nudge or they need to they need to maybe uh, they don't realize why what they're doing might be harmful uh, to other groups of people and why it would then hurt veganism and all these things like when i'm thinking about these issues andy when we're talking about them in most episodes i'm like people just need they just need a little nudge they just need a little bit of information they just need a little push but now when i'm faced with this topic where it's like Oh, but I'm going to be talking to vegans who are on the far right, who I know for a fact have the exact opposite view of me, views as I do on all of these issues, except for veganism. It's no longer like, oh, this person just needs a little nudge in this direction. It's this person needs to do a complete 180 on their, on most of their views besides veganism. And that it to me that just seems like it just seems like something completely different, and I I just like don't know how to to go about to go about. Well, that. I think that we have a finite amount of resources in terms of our time to promote veganism. That we're not promoting it to every single person on this planet. So I think it's important for us to smartly choose our audiences that we're talking to. And you know, you may find yourself in a conversation with someone that holds those views. But I don't think that we need to make it our business to go out and like actively recruit those people into veganism. I agree. But what about those people who are already vegan? Like, how do we navigate those people? I think it's important for vegans to take a stand and sort of unequivocally let people know that people with these racist views are not welcome. And and like you said, there are some people that hold problematic views but they're still like they could change if educated and then there's people that are like making it their business to promote a white ethno state and you're like okay i don't know if this is the person this isn't my best use of time to be talking to this person and i think it's important to unequivocally say like we don't accept these views within veganism or within like not even veganism we just don't accept these views like period they're not welcome in a society we're not here to accept people that are advocating for genocide yeah but it's not it's not always that intense it's not always that extreme though you know sometimes it's just a moderate conservative that's vegan or a republican that's vegan that like you're like oh i disagree on all these issues this person isn't isn't being overtly racist they're not being but they're they are holding these views that I would deem as problematic. I would say address them when they come up. Yeah. All right. I'll try to do that, Andy. Yeah. Which is what I feel like. I don't know. I feel like that's what I don't Andy, for some reason, this specific conversation that we're having feels different than all these other times that we've said, like we, you, we need to address these other issues. We need to talk about these things. And I can't like, I don't know exactly why, but it just feels like it's, it's a trickier situation to me. I f- this conversation makes me very uncomfortable because I'm not really sure <laughs> how do I feel and like what the solutions are for everything. Yeah. But you know what? We don't have all the solutions for everything and that's, that's okay. You know who might have some solutions, Paul? Who's that? Our listeners. Yeah. So this was a, this was a, I don't know. We, Andy and I both found this uncomfortable and tricky to talk about. Maybe you're at home right now listening or in the car or in the kitchen, wherever you listen to this and you're listening and you're like, Oh, you're pulling your hair out. You're like, there's such an obvious answer to all this stuff, which there probably isn't, but maybe you have a good suggestion or a good view. So please help us out. Please help us out. 
send us an email thebeardedvegans at gmail.com hit us up on the instagram or the facebook just the bearded vegans and let us know what you think because we, we, we didn't we we opened up the issue and i think that that's important but it would be nice to get some more feedback on this yeah can't wait to hear what people think about this one <laughs> so did you have anything else to say andy that's it all right then what andy what uh what events do you got coming up where can people meet you people can meet me in the parking lot of any walmart between here and tampa florida (laughs) (laughs) november 4th i will be at the tampa bay veg fest in tampa florida november 11th i'll be at the atlanta veg fest in atlanta georgia November 19th, I'll be at the Vegan Pop-Up back in Asbury Park, New Jersey. December 8th and 9th, I'll be at the Compassion Fest Holiday Bazaar in Hamden, Connecticut. And don't forget, we'll be doing a live podcast at 5 p.m. on December 9th at the Compassion Fest Holiday Bazaar. And I got a couple other things coming up through the rest of the year, but you can find all those dates, deets, and links at CompassionCo.com. It's CompassionCo.com. And at all those events, I will be behind the Compassion Company table, which is my vegan clothing line. So pop on by, say what's up, Beardo, and pick up your free Beard Vegans button and sticker. Hell yeah. <sighs> Paul, you know, I'm actually sad that I just left Texas and I didn't get a chance to stop by that restaurant and get my free flu shot. Yeah. But especially because I'm looking at their menu online now and I'm looking at some of the names and like the nasty burger and stuff. But (laughs) there is there's one burger that is so curiously named. Um, I'm sending you the link right now. Click, click, click. I'm opening it up. So you see it down there, Paul? Yeah, I think I think I see it. It's it's weird because it has such a long name. It's um, one, it's seven words. Could you just read the name of that burger for us? We are the Bearded Vegans signing off. great but then i decided i have to get this other dish which had more things that i liked on it that was a really interesting lead up (laughs) (laughs) let me try that again (laughs) so today's episode oh geez you want to read this one andy you can read it okay are you sure okay okay all right. So this one's from BBC.com. Why do you want me? Oh, because of the name. Yeah. <laughs> Gonna be bad for animals. On er, uh, What? So okay. I think, we got so I think, to... <laughs> Go for it. No, you could, you could lead me into it. All right. One statistic, you kind of overblow it or state it in a way that's more favorable... favorable fav- <laughs> chair i'm sitting in it's so uncomfortable i just had to go get a pillow (laughs) it's a ninja turtles pillow nice continue so that was kind of like my first (laughs) (laughs) 
December 8th and 9th, I'll be at the Compassion Fest holiday... Holiday? <laughs> Holidays. Uh, it's seven words. Could you just read the name of that burger for us? We are the Bearded Vegans, signing off. Burger. Burger. <laughs> <laughs>